pastor is away. I'm going to introduce our speaker for today, and he's going to bring the word to us. It's Nathan Raish, and uh, you know him. He is not a visitor by any means. He's our Word of Life missionary, supporting our Word of Life uh, programs here, and he and his wife Stephanie have just uh, been a great asset to our church in the past couple of years. And of course, if you put them on your prayer list, that's great. Don't forget uh, Morgan and Ezra and Evelyn, their children, as well. I know you'll be blessed by uh, what he has to share with us. And if you ever get a chance to hear his personal testimony, um, it is worth your time. I've never forgotten it. I've only heard it once, never forgotten it. So thank you so much. Nathan, come and break the word to us. Good morning. It really is a pleasure to be with you this morning. I, I, um, it really is. I, I have, I know this morning my brother prayed that God would knit his, the hearts of his children together this morning as a family, and I think I'm evidence of that happening here. Uh, every time we come here, we enjoy uh, the warmth and the love. Uh, of course, you support our ministry as a church at large, and then also uh, many of you individually support the work uh, that my family is a part of here in Michigan with Word of Life. And I'm excited uh, about that ministry. And I know now's not the time or place. Uh, I could share stories about what God's doing, impacting lives and changing hearts for His glory for all eternity in our area, but I won't right now. Um, pray for the children's workers. My, my, my wife Stephanie's in here. You've met my kids, maybe. I have two wonderful kids and one other one. So, pray. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I think they're all, I think they're all wonderful, and uh, I'm just seeing if you're with me, but good morning, everybody. This morning, I, you know, I prayed leading up to today, I prayed very hard about what it was that we would, we would spend our time this morning considering from Scripture, and last week I talked to Pastor Jeremy, uh, and he was, he was asking me some things. He said, you know, what, what are you going to preach on this coming week and about today? And, and I said, well, I have it narrowed down to two sermons that I would really like to share. One thing that's been on my heart, and I really, a direction that I, I think I prayed a lot about it and I would like to take this morning, is a direction through a familiar passage. You see it on the screen, Matthew 28. And uh, you're like, well, I, that's a very familiar passage, and that's probably one reason why I would like for us to consider uh, the truths that God has for us in that passage. And um, I'm going to get right into it because we don't have too much time you know, if I, had, if I had time to say what I would say, you'd all fall asleep on me anyway. So it's, let's get going, get rolling. Matthew chapter 28, there's a very familiar part of this chapter that is very well known among believers in the church today. Many of you know this, this chapter very well. What is, one of, what is probably the main truth in Matthew 28 that we know of today? What's the topic at hand? The Great Commission, yes, the Great Commission. And I'm going to be using that term now and then, I'm also going to be using a couple other terms, and I, just, I thought I really would take a few seconds to clarify those. The Great Commission is where, uh, the, the instance wherein Christ commissions us, I'm not supposed to use the word in the definition, I know that, but he is sending us out, you know, and as we are going, and you'll see the passages here, so it's a job that we all as believers have. So very quickly, if you're already turning your, your dial off because you think, well, oh, okay, we support missionaries here in this church and, and the mission's effort of this body to take the gospel across barriers all across the world is, is something that I'm, I'm even learning still how magnificent 
that is and what God's doing in your midst through that. And that's a wonderful thing. But it's not for the pros. It's not for the, the people who are, they're kind of in a sense paid to do it. It's not the job of the pastor primarily and only exclusively to be the missionary. We are all to be working in concert together in this effort worldwide of missions, taking the gospel of Christ all over the world, crossing barriers, uh, creating disciples and the work and all that it entails. That's a, that's a huge concept, but that's what I mean by missions. And really, that's why I don't think any of us is exempt uh, from this matter today. You say, well, I'm not, I'm not called to go. Well, that's, that's, that's fine. I, not all of us are, are called to go, and I don't think that if you're not sent, you should go. But there are goers and senders in this work. And so I hope that God has something for you today. I know he does that should encourage us and excite us in our walk with him today. So for the context, I, I know we are that familiar part of the, the scripture. We're going we're gonna to touch on that a little bit later. But I think to get a context of that or for that, we need to start in a, a little bit earlier in the passage. So I'm going to go ahead and read. You can follow along with me. I'm reading from the ESV. If you have a copy of God's word in your lap, you can follow along as well or look at the screen. While they were going, this is immediately following the resurrection. Behold, some of the guard went into the city, specifically the guard that was guarding the tomb. And they told their chief priests all that had taken place. Verse 12. And when they had assembled with the elders and uh, taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, his disciples came by the night and stole him away while we were asleep. You see the plan hatching here for deception. And uh, verse 14, and if this comes to the governor's ears, don't worry, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed, and this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. To what day? Matthew wrote this account of the gospel some 30 years after these events. So by that time, this story, this lie had been propagated throughout uh, the realm as they knew it, even to that day. We're familiar, as I said, with the go ye therefore. Right? We know that passage. If you don't know it, if you're not familiar, don't, don't feel badly. We're, we're actually going to get there a little bit later. But we can't neglect the preceding paragraph. Uh, this story, this account gives in a very big way a picture of the context in which we operate in this missions endeavor today. Yes, it is for today as much as it was back then. Next slide. We can't neglect this because it gives us our context. And what is that context? I'm sorry, back, back up one. The, the context is this. We are going forth in a world or in a culture today, we as Americans, that will do anything not to believe the gospel that we preach, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've seen that to be true, uh, but we've devised systems, evolution, humanistic, theistic, whatever you want to call it, evolution to, to, to come up with a reason why I am not accountable to the God that you're talking about. If I could come up with an alternative to a God that is, uh, to whom I am accountable, then in the flesh I'll probably do it every time. And what a shame. You, in this story, okay, the, the soldiers, they were sent to guard the tomb 
Jesus raised himself up. You know, he told, he told them before. He said, no man takes my life from me. I lay, I lay it down. If I lay it down, I'm going to take it back up again. He had just done that. Okay? You've heard that the stone was not really to keep the person inside. Why would you need to do that? They're dead. <laughs> they knew what dead looked like. Jesus had died. He was murdered. He was killed. He was crucified. But it was to keep the animals and robbers and stuff out. So the, guard, the soldiers that were guarding this, I don't think that's a terribly difficult job. You do one thing. You don't let anybody mess with the tomb. So they roll the stone away, and Jesus is not in there, and they have a problem. Well, what's the problem? What was the sentence for soldiers if, in Rome, specifically, if you were going to be guarding something or someone, and that something or someone was found to be missing? What was the consequence? Death, right? Off with the head. So these guys knew full well what was to be expected as a consequence of this disaster. Were they negligent? I'm sure they didn't even think so. Did they, were they derelict in their duties? I don't think they even really thought so. I'm wondering what they thought, but we don't know. We can't read between the lines. So they come before the elders, and I would be very afraid for my life. But then you see the story that unfolds, right? They're offered not the sword, but they're offered money. <laughs> what? They're offered money in exchange to promote a lie and just say, hey, I, I was guarding the tomb, but Jesus and his fr Jesus's friends, they came and they stole the body, and that's what happened. It's kind of a silly plan. But we know that opposition to the gospel, opposition to the truth of Jesus' death and resurrection and the life that he has and the freedom from sins that he has, opposition to that is never really reasonable. Okay, in my experience, uh, what, what people and critics level against it is not really too reasonable. Chief among those, this plan... His disciples came and stole the body. And, and in my mind, if I'm hearing these soldiers tell me this story, I'm thinking, how can that be true? Because you're breathing and you're living and you're speaking to me about something that would have cost you your life. How is that possible? But, you know, they're running out of options. If you're going to come up with a plan, what, what would happen if they were to admit or if they were to kill the soldiers? It'd be at Rome or even the Jews. If they were to kill the soldiers for their iniquity right then and there, for this problem that they caused, that would be admitting that something indeed did happen, that Jesus was gone, right? So they're kind of in a pickle. They're in a, they're in a tough spot. You could say that they're between a rock or a stone <laughs> and a hard place. You see what I did there? So they're stuck. So what do you choose? They're, they're going to choose to lie about it because if I admit Jesus did what he said he's going to do, especially something as miraculous as raising from the dead, which the evidence is there, folks, as evidence that would stand in any court. If he rose from the dead, then Jesus must be who he said he was, right? He must be who he says he is, and he must also have claims over my life and things to say about me that I would rather, in the flesh, him not be able to say. Well, we can't admit that. We've got to come up with something to muddy the water. And here are the Jewish leaders they're doing just that so we see exemplified here that we're going forth in a world from the very beginning that will do anything to not believe the truth of jesus christ you're thinking come on is it that hard to believe <laughs> it's a work of god folks and it's solely a work of god and sometimes it is hard uh, to believe and i'm not excusing them 
To acknowledge Jesus would have been a very costly thing for them to do. But they're saying, oh, guys, don't worry, though. If the governor hears, we got your back. Uh, the soldiers, like, oh, okay, hold up. Okay, so you're telling me that if the governor hears back home of what we've done, okay, so far you've not killed us. Thank you very much. Let me tell you how much I appreciate you not killing us. But then if the governor back home gets, these, gets word of this problem that we've caused, of this oversight, of us deserting our responsibility, then it's going to cost us our heads. And quite frankly, elders, you are outranked. I'd be worried. I would still be worried. That was the situation that they were in. The context is still the same. You know, this world in which we labor to make gospel uh, truth a, a topic of conversation, in which we labor to make Jesus to be known as magnificent and glorious. That's the world that we live in. And I think it's been that way for, in some measure, and even in some great measure, for a long time now. I think of the call of Isaiah, right? Isaiah chapter 6. I, God is, is asking, who will go for me? And Isaiah says what? Here am I. Send me. And, and God divulges the plan to Isaiah, and I think it's very gracious for him to do that until you hear what the plan is, right? Isaiah, I'm going to have you go for me. That wasn't all of the call. He says, Isaiah, I'm going to have you go for me as a prophet. I'm going to have you go, and I'm going to have you preach to a stiff-necked people who is not going to listen to what you have to say. I'm thinking, well, how's that for a, a cheerleading party? That's not very great. Isaiah thought, well, I'm sure he counted the cost. I knew that it was all worth it in service for his God and his creator. But you're going to preach to a stiff-necked people who is not going to like what you have to say. They're not even going to listen. And by all accounts, we understand that Isaiah's ministry was a tough one. And it followed that pattern. Nobody listened. It seemed like it was not a fruitful ministry at all. Of course, now his ministry had far-reaching effects that I don't even think he, he would have understood. But that was his plan. That was his, his ministry that he would encounter this very thing that we're talking about here and that call that he had from his God. Now, many missionaries, I think, these days have a, a different experience, at least, at least right away. You know, I, a lot of my friends, you know, we, we've, we've chosen to embark in this privilege of serving God as missionaries. And I remember some of my friends, especially, and how many of you have gone on either long-term trips or, or short-term missions trips? How many, go ahead and raise your hand. Yes, you know the feeling. Short-term missions, especially for me, and then I see it in friends, and I even lived a little bit of this myself. You're just excited. You know, I remember coming on staff with Word of Life just two years ago, and I was thrilled. I was like, they, they threw open the doors, and I was just ready to unleash, right, and go forth in the power of Christ and see great things happen. Well, even on a short-term mission trip, you're so excited. You have a send, maybe a sending service at church. People praying over you. They're putting your picture on their fridge. They're supporting you. They're patting you on the back. And you know on the plane ride over there, wherever you're going, the plane doesn't even have to use as much fuel because the high that you're on is suspending you in the air. You're just so excited to get where you're going. And you know what you find out? The next morning, you're preaching a message that people just don't want to hear. They don't have time for it. Some people hate you. Some people despise the God that you worship, and therefore they despise you. Really, and we know scripturally that the attack is really aimed at him, and he's more than competent to bear it. So let him. 
but they don't like you. They don't want to hear what you have to say. The story of Jesus is restrictive in their mind. They've got a sin problem that they'd rather not deal with. Sometimes that's the case. That's what we encounter. That's what we face in the modern mission world, and I really think they faced it now for thousands of years. So you're thinking, well, why in the world would I do this? Nathan, you're painting a pretty grim picture. I hope this isn't like a recruiting service because you're going to (laughs) bomb. I'm painting a grim picture. I'm painting, I think, a realistic one to some degree, and I'm not addressing everything. We'll get to more later. But I want to set some tension for you. Why would anybody want to go? Why would anybody want to support something like this? Why do we die? Okay, if God is really sovereign, he's going to save whomever he wills. Why even take the time on missions? That's maybe a different sermon. But we ought to. Sometimes we don't want to. And that's why. Because of what we're up against. Secondly, we're up against something else, too. Uh, Verses 16 and 17. I think I have that on the next slide. Now, the 11 disciples... They went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I know you've read this before. Don't miss that. Some doubted. Have you ever wondered how? (laughs) These are the disciples, these are 11, specifically they're the apostles. They have walked with Jesus. Some of them grew up around him. They knew who he was from a child, some of them. They spent, at least all of them, have spent three and a half years in public ministry with this man. They saw him crucified. They even spoke, had breakfast. They even ate and hung out with the resurrected, back-to-life Christ. You'd think that would be enough. But some doubted. After all that, some of these men doubted. Boy, we're hard on these guys, though. Because you know, I wonder what it would have been like for me to be there. I wonder what I would have struggled with. I couldn't tell you exactly how it would be, but I think I'd be pretty close to what these guys are going through here. Some doubted. You've had those days, right? Sometimes you've had those seasons, maybe those years. And you don't really share them. It's not really the topic of conversation in your Sunday school class, maybe. But these seasons of doubt, when do they come? Maybe a loved one dies. And you think, God, could, how, how could, how could, God, how could you let this happen? And the doubt, no matter how brief or how extended, it's there sometimes. And it comes in other forms, too. Maybe there's a, a rough diagnosis. Some of you might be dealing with this right now. Well, God, I thought, I thought things were just going differently. I don't think we have the energy or the time or the resources otherwise to deal with this. Why aren't you blessing us? When people talk about you and they're, they're speaking negatively and you're thinking, well, all I'm trying to do is serve them. I'm laying down my life, the sweat, blood, and tears that I'm pouring into them and they have only critical attack for me. Maybe you're experiencing that. When it seems as though you're abandoned by God, right? You preach and you preach and you, you love and you love some more. You give until it hurts, and then you give some more. And it seems like there's no fruit. God, where are you, and how did you let this happen? This is not how I thought it would end up. That's why I think in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul encourages Pastor Timothy 
And he tells him to be ready in season and out of season. You know that, 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Timothy, be ready. Preach the word, right? Rebuke, exhort, right? Do these things, be ready because, and be encouraged. He says, and this is paraphrase, obviously, Nathan paraphrase. He says, be ready, but teach and preach with all patience. Why? Because there's coming a time when people will not endure sound doctrine, sound teaching, good, solid truth. People will not have a palate for it anymore. And we're seeing that sometimes today, aren't we? And they would rather heap up for themselves teachers, Paul says, in his wisdom, in his guidance by the Holy Spirit. He says, these people who have no appetite for truth, they're going to heap up for themselves. Instead, teachers who tell them what they want to hear, and they're going to chase after fables, Paul says. They're going to find themselves, rather than going after the truth of God's word and pursuing God and his character, they're going to go after the fables and traditions and, and weak myths of mankind. And that is all around us today. Sometimes, uh, you know, you, I think of pastors. One, one unexpected avenue of ministry that we've had uh, with, with Word of Life is, is just, the, just the, the usefulness of just being available to pastors. You know, talking to youth leaders, talking to senior pastors, and, and they share things sometimes that I just... It brings me to tears thinking about some of the things that these guys are going through as they labor spiritually for the flock and they protect and they preach the word. And they do all this. And I have a friend, actually his dad was a, a pastor in, a, in an area. I'm not going to name names. <laughs> I'm not going to even name areas, but you may understand where I'm talking about eventually. I don't know. But uh, he was a pastor in an area, and, and this other guy came along. You know, he's, my friend's dad was faithful in preaching the word. Now my friend is actually the pastor of this church. But he's preaching the word week in, week out, loving people, sharing the gospel with the lost, making disciples. And then comes along a guy, out of nowhere it seemed like, like a false teacher, preaching heresy, undoing the gospel in his area. And that's where all the people went. The church immediately exploded to thousands of members. Well, what's wrong with this guy? Well, outwardly, not much. I mean, he wears a nice suit. He smiles. He tells them that they're victorious, right? And I'm just saying this because you know the type. He tells his people that they're not the tail, they're the head. All you have to do is name it, and you can claim it for yourself, right? Believe, and you will receive and through trickery and deception and through abandoning God's truth, it attracts people. How in the world? Any of you guys recognize this guy? Because this, sometimes this happened. Who, who knows uh, Senor Pepe right there, right? Senor, I said, I like that. I, I blended Spanish and French. My, my dad's Mexican. My mom's French, so I'm French again. So I do that sometimes. <laughs> so the Pepe, Pepe Le Pew, right? His problem, I remember there was this cat. Oh, she was so pretty, and she was so sweet, I guess as a cat could be. I'm not a cat guy, but he was. And she would walk by, and remember this, that her perfume smelled so lovely, apparently, and you could see it in the air. Remember that? You could see the perfume, and he would just float up. He would levitate in the air, and his feet would be doing the fluttering thing. He'd be following the scent of the love of his life. Mon chérie, right? As she walked by, and he would be off like a like a rat after the Pied Piper. And sometimes we see this happening in our world today. 
And I don't mean to be too harsh, but I think we can make things clear. When somebody is departed from the truth of God's word, they've abandoned Christ and the gospel, I think our attention needs to be focused elsewhere. And I believe that sound preaching and I believe the power of the Holy Spirit can right a lot of wrongs that we've seen happen. So don't be like Mr. LePew and following whoever it is. So again, so again, we, we see this problem, we see the problems that I've already talked about, so why in the world would anybody pursue this missions endeavor? You say, Nathan, it's the job of the local church. I believe that. And I'm not trying to talk you out of it. <laughs> You're doing these things. I feel kind of, I feel a little bit like, um, like the prophet Joel. You know, I, I'm, I'm just encouraging you in things that you already, already know. So why do we do this? And I think the, the hope is found in this next verse. Jesus came and he said to them, some of you are wondering why this verse is there. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That's why we do what we do. That's why we're still persisting. That's why we haven't given up. That's why the mission of the local church still matters and God is still all about this today. All authority has been given uh, to Jesus. So why in the world? Why, why, are, why are you grabbing that from that verse, Nathan? Please explain. This is what guarantees success in the mission. You ever been asked to do something and you just don't think it's going to go very well? Right? I know the first time I ever kayaked. It was a nightmare. I didn't think it would ever go well, and it did not go well. So you, okay, I'm not going to go into stories. But this, this, is a, this is an example of that. I mean, how do I go into this thing if I don't think it's going to turn out well? Here's your promise. It's going to turn out well. It may not turn out everything you thought it would be personally, but all authority has been given to Jesus. He oversees the end as well as the means. He's good at what he does. Here's what's not happening. God's not in heaven right now sitting there with his fingers crossed, hoping against all hope that you can round up his sheep and get him in these doors. In fact, quite the contrary. The Bible never tells the lost person to come into church. If they come, great, fantastic, invite them. He tells us to go, and while we're going, to make disciples. Okay? You walk out of these doors, and you've heard the saying that you enter the mission field, and that's a, a very big truth, and I think that's, a, that's not an overstatement. So hold up. Jesus is the second member of the Trinity. Right? And I thought this verse, uh, you're wondering why, why does Nathan pick apart verses like this? I, was, I came to Christ later, and I, I read the Bible pretty critically, and verses like this didn't make a whole lot of sense to me sometimes. So I do. I ask the hard questions. God can handle that. I ask him hard questions like this. Jesus is the second member of the Trinity. Why in the world did he say here that now I have been given all authority. Didn't he have all authority before? We know elections in this country, right? Jesus is not running for God. He is God. There's going to be a ballot here in a few years, pretty important one, and Jesus ain't on it, y'all. He's not on it. He's not running for God. He's God already. So how is he saying that I've been given all authority in heaven and in earth. Flip there if you want to. If you don't have time, just go ahead and listen. Second, or Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Here we have our answer. Because indeed, all authority has been given to Jesus Christ. 
Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 9. For in him, that is Jesus, we have the, or excuse me, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So he's God already. And by the way, before we get started, I hope you're not thinking this is controversial because I don't think it is, but I, I know that Jesus had all authority. He did. But that was not demonstrated the way that we see it here. And we'll see why in here in just a moment. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of flesh. Okay, we're seeing a spiritual transaction happen here through this sign, this symbol. By the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried, verse 12, with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. Here. Verse 13, and you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt, amen, that he did. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He, and here it is, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them by dying on the cross by his active in theology there are two different types of uh, obedience of christ his active obedience by which he fulfilled the law living a sinless life and his passive obedience by which he allowed our sin to be laid on him in its entirety the lie that you're about to tell at one o'clock today right the thought that you're supposed to have the the you're not supposed to have the, the angry outburst that's going to come later. He died for all that. And it was laid upon him. So by his active righteousness and by his passive righteousness, now we have this applied to our account and God is seen as glorious. Before the incarnation or before Jesus came as a man and took on the form of man, we didn't have humanity in the Trinity Philippians 2, he took on the form of man. He ransomed the dead to him. He demonstrated his power over death, sin, and the grave. And that much more glory is being received by him in heaven for doing so. We're making a lot of different points here, and there's one single point at the very end that I want to boil all this down to, and it's coming. So now all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. This is our God. This is why we can continue on mission. This is why we have verses like Revelation 4.9 and Revelation 7.9 where every tribe, every kindred, every nation is gathered around the throne. And uh, this next verse, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Panta ethne all nations in the Greek means every ethne, ethnos, ethnic, right? You see the root, the word there, ethnic. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue. By the way, you get this for free, but there's only one race. You say, Nathan, you're getting wrapped up in semantics. It's not that big of a deal, but to me it is. We have only one race. We have multiple ethnicities, okay? 
So one race, the human race. If you've read Romans chapter 5, I see how you can divide it up into the race of the first Adam, the race of the second Adam. But really, you can't divide humankind, mankind, your fellow man, into any more races than that. But we have different ethnicities, right? The only difference in skin color, if you think, well, that, that might be, okay, we're all, one, we're all of one color. You're thinking, I can't amen that because, Nathan, I'm looking around. And uh, people are different colors. <laughs> well, it's all different shades, right? It all depends on how much melanin you've been given, right? Primarily, there are other factors involved, but how much melanin and pigment your skin has been given determines the different shades and the different tones. My family, for example, I was joking with somebody earlier, and I, I told them that my family's like Neapolitan ice cream. And my wife is fair skin. I'm brownish, and I change with the month. <laughs> my, my skin tone changes a lot. But we had, first kid was brown skin, we have a white one and we have a little pink one. <laughs> so it's like Neapolitan ice cream, but it's wonderful. That's the mix. That's, that's why we have different skin tones, different melanin. Some of you were not given as much melanin as other people, and God still loves you. <laughs> don't, feel, don't feel shorted or slighted in your plight, okay? God still loves you. You are wonderfully and beautifully made just the way you are. So God, in all, ethnics, all ethnic groups, he, is, he has a heart for this thing that we call missions, and we are often called to people that we are not like. The way it works in our world, we want to hang out with people who look like us. It's just a natural tendency. We want to marry people who look like us. It's just a natural tendency. We want to worship with people who look like us. It's a natural tendency. One time, I, you know, in high school, I was later in high school, I was good friends with a guy. He comes from the Mian people group. It's Southeast Asia. They speak their own tongue, the Mian language. And he lived in a big area of Northern California that was all settled by me and people. So I would go there before school every single day, five days a week. I would stay in his house for about an hour before he could drive me to school. So I was walking through this neighborhood of his. I mean, probably the first two years of doing this. And people look at me. Because I don't look like them. Okay, I don't look like the Southeast Asian guy. And, and the, the languages were so different. You know, if you go anywhere in the world, you, you look at Spanish, you look at French and German, you can kind of piece together what they're saying, common characters in their language, the alphabet's similar, but the Mian language is not similar. It's similar to, like, Vietnamese, but the characters, they're just real squiggly, and they don't make a whole lot of sense to anybody. I don't even know how they read it. Maybe they can't. We just think they can. But they, I didn't make any sense. All the signs, all the banners and posters, the things in their car, the different things, they, they all look different. Nothing made sense. And then I walked into church there the first time. And I could make out the word Jesus here and there. <laughs> and that was, that was a wonderful thing. My brothers and sisters, instantly united because of the gospel. That's something Ephesians 2 says can only happen through the work of the gospel. Bringing Jew and Gentile, slave and free, man and woman together in true unity. So we don't have a whole lot of time left, but the go ye therefore, next, go, go ahead and advance to the next slide. Acts chapter 1-8, you know this verse, but you will receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You've heard this before, right? Jerusalem, like Lapeer County. And in all Judea, like in Michigan or the United States, right? And in Samaria, which is kind of like maybe the Western Hemisphere, and then all to the, end, to the ends of the earth. Good, next slide. A very interesting thing happened, and this is the area that we're talking about. Uh, when Luke wrote that, 
I want to kind of unlock what, you, what, what he meant by Jerusalem. Go ahead. See that little red dot? Where is it? You can't see it. Next. It's right there. By Jerusalem, and this is a little tricky, he meant Jerusalem. So then what did he mean by Judea? Next. He meant Judea. But it does get a little more complex here uh, with uh, Samaria. Okay, and so the next, what did he mean by Samaria? He actually meant Samaria. And what did he mean by the othermost parts of the world? In part, he meant us. America. We're just a byproduct of the decentralization of the gospel uh, not infusion, but the gospel presence there in the Middle East, Jerusalem specifically, it grew. We're here believing in Jesus. We're here understanding Scripture. We're here worshiping Him because somebody left and went. Because somebody brought the good news of salvation in Christ to us. And we could continue. We have baptizing them, okay? It, it's, it's, a, it's a very inclusive. This work of the gospel, teaching them, as it says later in another verse there, that Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, I believe. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost. This work of the gospel is pretty far-reaching. If you've been to a country where the gospel has not yet penetrated, you see that right away. It changes their art, changes the way their government's set up, it changes the way men treat the daughters and their wives. It does change. The gospel really does change everything. By the way, culture is not the problem. We fight culture mistakenly, but sin's the problem. Somebody said in closing, and I'll, I'll wrap it up with this. Okay, Nathan, I know what hermeneutics is. How many of you know, you've heard the word hermeneutics? It's the, the science of biblical interpretation, right? It's how we understand, how we approach these words written on these pages. So I understand, Nathan, what you're saying, and I, I do know enough about hermeneutics to understand that there in verse 11, the writer here is talking, actually, Matthew's talking to the 11 disciples. And so this really isn't for me. Okay. I'm not even going to get into the hermeneutics with you. But if we want to let go of the go ye therefore, how can we ever expect to have the lo I am with you always? The sweet presence of God in the work that we're doing is with us always in this work of the mission endeavor. That's, that's the context here. But if we're not the senders and the goers, how can, he, how can we expect the abiding presence of God's power in our life? Some of you came in here today and you don't know Jesus. Maybe you've never really considered salvation in him. You realize that you are a sinner and you have a debt that you cannot pay before a holy God who's offering you life and freedom in his son, Jesus Christ. Don't go anywhere today without calling out to him and asking him to save you. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to save you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you are sitting here thinking that, uh, you know, if I just go to church every once in a while, that's all that he demands. It's a good thing that we're all here. But you know, when we realize that there are 1.8 billion, now it's 1.9 billion people in this world that have never heard the name of Jesus. Suddenly our problems get bigger than the color of the carpet or uh, Tim didn't sing my song today. 
Well, he did, by the way. I saw great song selection. When we realize that there are pastors in this world, in third world countries, pastoring churches with, with less biblical training than the average Sunday school attendee in our church, sometimes you know, that can motivate us for this gospel endeavor. Regardless of where you are spiritually, run to him. Be found in Christ, the finisher of the work that we are doing. Let's pray. Father, this big work, this big job that seems to some to be impossible, certainly to me it seems like a big task, uh, daunting and sometimes. Lord, we are encouraged to know that you are the author and finisher. You are the one to whom all authority has been given. You're the one in, in control. You're in charge. This work is yours. We don't deserve to be a part of it, but we are, and it's our great privilege. It's our joy to make your son known among people who have never heard or people who have heard and are resisting. Lord, I pray that you would season our conversations with gospel and that you would allow us an opportunity even today to share the good news that will set somebody free. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.